a half-truth is a whole lie. Now, what do I mean by that? A half-truth is something where you've not disclosed it all, you've hidden part of the truth, or it sounds true, but you haven't put the entire truth there. For example, you might say something like, I'm going to the store and I'll be right back. But you might also have in your mind said, but I'm also going to go to the gas station, I've got to go to the hardware, I've got to go here, I've got to go there, and then I'll be... But you're not saying all that, so it's kind of like leading on someone with part of the truth. That's a half-truth. It becomes a lie because it's not all the truth that you know to be true. Now, as the Scripture says, the truth will set you free. How many want to be free this morning? Amen. I do. I hope you do. Pilate said, what is truth? He got it wrong when Jesus said, uh, those who are of the truth follow me. Pilate said, what is truth? And Jesus should have corrected him, but he did not. Because Pilate should have said, who is truth? Truth is not a what. It's a person. When I was in college, I shared with you in recent sermons about I used to clean the dorms on the weekends and the Berlitz students from Saudi Arabia were on the top floor. I'd clean it. And he one time I shared with you, read the Quran for me. I couldn't touch it with dirty hands is what he said. But I asked him one time what he thought about Jesus. It was interesting what he said. He said, He was a great prophet. He worked miracles and He was crucified for doing good. That's what he said. And I said, is there anything else that you can tell me about Jesus that might be a little significant about Him? And he said, no, that's about it. But He was a really good man. That's about half-truth, isn't it? About as half-truth as you can get. If you don't have the whole truth, guess what? You miss all of Jesus. And I don't want you to miss all of Jesus this morning. So I have some things for you this morning. And uh, we're going to have some fun. The Scriptures are going to be on the screen for you. About the lies we embrace and the truth the Scripture tells us is contrary to those lies. The first one. This is the lie. The church is a building. Therefore, I go to church. Church has a set time and a set place. And then when it's done, I leave church and I'm no longer at church. It's important to go to church, but other things are important also. A lot of people say that, don't they? They say, I go to church. Scripture in 1 Corinthians 12.27 says it a little different. It says you are the body of Christ and members of it individually. What does that mean? The church is the body of Christ, not a building. You don't go to church. You are the church. You don't um, speak the truth. You know the truth. That's Jesus. Same way with church. You don't go to it. You are the church everywhere that you go. You're not going to church. You are it. And sometimes we don't remember that or realize that. And so someone will say, are you going to church? I'm going, no, church is going with me. I am the church. I am a part of the body of Christ. And that's a good thing, isn't it? 
That's the foundation of all Christianity is the church has become outside the building and entered into human hearts. God is pleased, it says in Scripture, not up on the screen, to dwell in human hearts. He does not dwell in buildings made by man, but in human hearts. In John 14, it also says that He dwells with us. He makes a dwelling in us. And we make our dwelling in Him. Therefore, we are the body of Christ, filled with Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Father's presence everywhere we go. Someone once said to me, I went to church and God wasn't there. I felt no God there. And I said, "Um, aren't you a believer? And I said, well, didn't you take Him with you? And he said, "Uh, well, you know, yeah, I knew that, but you just said God wasn't there. So if you can go a place with God in you where God isn't, that means God's not in you anymore. That's right. Amen. There is no place God is not present. Even Scripture says no matter where you go, there God is. And it's not just because He's in you, it's because God is omnipresent. Okay, that's the first one. The next one. A description of church. If you ask a lot of people, this is a pretty good answer for a half-truth. The church is a place where believers learn, they praise God, they have fellowship, they pray, might feel a touch from God, and to hear from God. Not too bad. Sounds nice. But is that what the church is? Um, The church is not a place. (laughs) Again, you are the church. Let me share this about the church. Those who act ungodly need the church as much as or more than righteous people. The church building is a hospital for the sick. And everybody has become sick under sin. Sin is the sickness. Matthew 9, 11 and 12, Jesus talks about it for you. He says, when the Pharisees saw this, this is Jesus eating with sinners and hanging around those bad people. They said, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? That's what they said to the disciples. But Jesus heard (laughs) <laughs> and the disciples didn't have to answer. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Mm-hmm. Who is the divine physician? Jesus. Isn't it Jesus? Amen. Isn't God the healer? Mm-hmm. I am the God that healeth thee, says the psalm. Of course He is. So, when we say a church is a place for believers to learn, it's half true. It's also a place for unbelievers to find hope. To find healing and restoration. And all one time in our lives, we were that category. Unbelievers. We needed church and we still do. And I don't mean just to be the church, but the fellowship of people who love, support us, encourage us, and pray for us even when we have a bad day. Amen. Guess what? My wife will tell you this and I, I don't like telling you this, but I have bad days. Everybody. Yeah. I, last time I checked... It wasn't too long ago. I asked, well, she told me, I don't walk on water. She'll even reiterate, he really doesn't, that I didn't hang the moon. I know, I know, this is kind of a revelation for me. I didn't create the universe, and it doesn't revolve around me. 
<sighs> Which means, since I sometimes think those things, I need encouragement, support, and prayer. And there are people who are new to the faith who still don't understand these things and they need our love, encouragement, support, and prayer too, don't they? Of course they do. Here's what uh, another half-truth is. I'm not sick. I don't need the Holy Spirit either. And there are some people who are worse off than others that actually need that. You may have heard that one. I don't know, but I've heard that a lot of times. I, this Holy Spirit baptism thing and all these other gifts of the Holy Spirit, I don't know what it's all about, but that's weird and it's not for me. That's where we tell God I don't need His gifts. And I'm not sick because i got everything I need already. Thank God Christianity isn't about us. Amen. It's about God. It's about Jesus Christ and taking the Gospel out. So in Romans 3.23, you've heard this verse. It says basically we're all sick. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're not glowing with the glory of God all the time. Sometimes, very rarely. And that is a sickness in spirituality terms, in terms of God. You see, sin is a sickness and we're all under that sickness. Nobody is better or worse off. All fell short. I don't always like to think that, but it's true. But sometimes we see folks who are struggling and we see like mental illness or addiction or um, other things that pervasively can bother a person and, and it makes them hard to be around sometimes or hard to understand. People who struggle with depression say, man, I want to be around happy people. You know, Some people want to do that. They don't want to be around negative people. But guess what? Here's what the half-truth says. It says, mental illness is a disease. An addict can just say no to drugs and drinking. And demons and spirits are not real. This is a half-truth. Here's the truth. Jesus cast out demons. Did you read the Scripture? It wasn't a mental illness He cast out. He cast out demons out of the man from Gerasenian demoniac. I think Stan talked about that last Sunday. He cast out a legion of them. If they aren't real, what did He cast out? They're real. They exist. They haven't left. They're still around. The greatest thing is they can't possess you, but they can sure latch on. And they can certainly get you under their influence. Mental illness, addiction, and other manifestations can be a symptom of their influence on your life, but it also can be a symptom for a non-believer of being possessed by one. We don't like to talk about this in church because it makes us uncomfortable. It's that weird stuff, right? But I want to share with you, if you don't talk about the whole truth of the Gospel, you're going to miss half of it. And what can you do about these things? Wednesday night we had... uh, Pantry and I spoke just a little bit as a teaser for this sermon, and this is what I said. The half-truth is, I'm an American, I was born in America, therefore I'm free. That's a half-truth. I live in freedom because I live in the United States. Did you know that that is a half-truth? Not everybody knew that. Did anybody know that that was a... Did someone say yes? No, no, no. This is a free country. I'm free. I can do what I want when I want. It's not true. 
The only true freedom is on the board right here. For freedom Christ sets you free. Amen. Not your country. Not other people. Jesus alone can set you free. The only true freedom is the freedom in Jesus Christ. Everything else is an illusion. And the one that says, my country sets me free is based on patriotism and loyalty. Not upon the Gospel. It's true. I'm not hearing a whole lot of, yeah, preacher, that's right, amen. What I'm hearing you go is, I don't want to hear this. Come on. That's what I'm hearing from some faces right now. What's going on, Presley? You're telling me some stuff I don't want to hear, but I haven't got to the good stuff yet. This is just the fun stuff. What are you going to do when I get to the stuff that actually is hard? I'm only on number five. We're going to number six now. The tithe. Uh, Pastor, don't you dare mess with my wallet. Here's what we say. Tithe is what I can afford or after the bills. That's when it comes. Or we say, well, that's an Old Testament law. Jesus did away with the Old Testament. I don't have to read that stuff. Just the New Testament all applies to me. When it comes to your money... But when someone says, hey, you know, you ought to not kill people in school. Oh, that's Old Testament. Not, Thou shalt not murder thing. That's Old Testament. So how can you separate one from the other? you got to have the whole Scripture or none of it, right? Amen. can't have half of it. We're not an Old Testament or a New Testament. We're both Testament people, right? Yeah. God is still God. He hasn't changed, in other words. And we still need the truth, not half of it. I was reading uh, Robert Morris's book... Uh, the Blessed Life. I recommend it. Easy read, an uncomfortable read. And in that book he says, there are two things I know, and it's without fail. Someone who tithes says they've been blessed immediately and immensely, more than they could ever expect. And a person who doesn't tithe always says, I can't afford it. Do you understand what he's saying? If you don't tithe, you're saying, I can't afford it. Those who do tithe say, I'm blessed beyond belief. I'm a witness. My wife and I are a witness to this. We started tithing several years ago at my wife's request, and I'm going, we can't afford it. She's going, we need to tithe. We can't afford it. We started tithing, and now we can afford it. Don't ask me how that works. God just says that. But the tithe is what most people say is you know, up to their discretion. In Hebrews chapter 7... It gives us a little bit of a different slant on this. Melchizedek, the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and don't go yet, go into the next one, and blessed him. Let me tell you what's going on. Abraham has gotten some spoils. God has really blessed him. There is no law of tithe here. There's no demand. And Melchizedek is the king of Salem. King of Salem, Melchizedek, is a forerunner of Jesus Christ. This one, they don't know where he came from or who he uh, got his king of Salem from. They, he just kind of showed up. And Abraham saw him as the king of Salem, which is the king of blessing, the, uh, the one who is holy and most high, king if you will. And, and Abraham comes back with these spoils. And he wants to bless Melchizedek. And the next verse says what he does. It says, Abraham gave a tenth part of it all, and the first being king of righteousness, and then also the king of Salem, which is king of peace. 
So Abraham wanted this Most High King, the King of Peace, out of his thankfulness for what God gave him to the priest. You hear that? No one told him to do it. He was just so thankful of what he was given that he gave a part away out of joy. I'm so glad I got this. I just want to share it with you. A lot of folks, when they get something, they want to figure out how they can spend it. Rather than saying, God, thank You for this increase. I just want to bless You with it. I want to give You praise through this. I want to worship You through the giving of this tithe into You. And we don't see it that way. Alright, that's the truth right there. It makes you a little uncomfortable. Good, we're going a little deeper. The seventh one. Oh, I don't know if you're ready for this one. Are you all ready for this one? Yep. Here's what we say. Jesus died so I would not have to. I am not a slave to sin and I'm guaranteed heaven because of Jesus. That's the half-truth. But a lot of people purport that and teach that and preach that. Let's look at what Isaiah 53.5 said. And I think you've heard this talking about Jesus. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him and by His stripes we are healed. It says there that Jesus bore scars of the stripes on His back from the whipping from the Romans before He was crucified. It says in Scripture that He became sin and took the marks of a slave. Sin makes you a slave. A slave to sin. We are all under sin. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. All of us. Jesus Christ became that sin and became a slave with the whipping that He received. He bore the marks of a slave. When He was betrayed by Judas... He was sold for 30, or betrayed, 30 pieces of silver. Is what Judas collected. It is the exact price, and I think the temple rulers knew this, that you paid for a slave. The temple said Jesus will be a slave wage. And Jesus became a slave to sin that we could become the freedom of Christ. You see, a lot of us think, well, you know, that's how this works, right? You know, He did it so I didn't have to. But we miss the rest of the story. In Romans chapter 5, verse 17, one of the most important verses for me a few years ago, it says, If by one man's offense death reigned, and that's Adam, through that man, much more those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now, I want to point out to you here that it says righteousness is a gift. Righteousness is not what you do. People think that godly actions make you righteous. They do not. 
Jesus Christ makes you righteous. And here's what's wrong with the, the, the lie that says, He did it so I would not have to. I'm not a slave to sin. I'm guaranteed heaven. You do die. When you baptize into Christ, you are baptized into His death. Amen. You do die. You die to self. You no longer live for your selfish purpose and motives. You now live for Jesus Christ. Paul even says, I've been crucified to Christ. Crucified. He's been crucified. He will die. You will die. You are a slave to sin. And you must live to Christ. So the old self has to die off. And he says, yet not I, but Christ that lives within me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith of Jesus Christ. Not my own. I can't do this. God has to do it through me or it doesn't get done. I can't say, I am guaranteed heaven. Only God can say that to me. He's the one who has the gift of righteousness, the gift of eternity, the gift of forever is God's. Not mine to say I own it, that I claim it. I can only receive it in faith with the hope that it will come to me. That makes sense? So it would be crazy for a person who knows that God is the one who gives it to say, I don't have to die. Yes, you do. He doesn't want what you got. He wants you to be a new creation. He doesn't want the junk you've been carrying around since birth. He wants you to be born again. You do have to die. (laughs) Even though Jesus said to Martha, He who believes in Me never shall die. He means the eternal death. Because He also says to her, He who believes in Me, though He dies, yet shall He live. Do you believe this? So you're not a slave is not true. And God puts a seal on you of the Holy Spirit to assure you that you belong to Him. And that seal is a promise of God on you of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes we say this, and, and, and I've been to a lot of churches where people talk like this. Matter of fact, a friend of mine did an experiment. Maybe you've heard about other churches have done this. But he said to the congregation he wouldn't be there the following Sunday. And the next Sunday he dressed up as bum. Mm-hmm. Uh, disguised. He was a very good makeup artist. Made sure he hadn't showered all week. It was, it was really offensive, basically, the way he was dressed. And he, and he sat out on the stoop of the church as people came in. And nobody recognized him. And he wanted to see what the people would do. Would they welcome him in with open arms, ask him what he was doing there, can I help you, can I get you on your way, or what they would do. And he said that people would look at him and turn the other way. And finally, he even had a Uh, an empty bottle, an alcohol bottle next to him so it looked like he'd been drinking and passed out there. So he walks into the church, the empty bottle in his hand, staggers in, plops down in a pew, and one of the people in the ushers, and then he staged this. One of the others said, Sir, this church is for people who need God and for believers. What are you doing here? And all he said in his disguised voice was this, I wanted to know if I was welcome in the house of God. Mm-hmm. 
Then he staggered up into the pulpit. There was no pastor there and they were wondering what they were going to do. And he took off the mask and the people saw it. And he said, today our church just learned what kind of believers we are. Mm-hmm. And I was shocked that he did that. But he said, our church changed that day. But here's the lie that most people have. That people who are sinners who come to the church will destroy the reputation of the church and my influence. They will hurt me. If they don't have godly actions, they're not righteous, they need to get shaped up, or they need to ship out. That's what we say. That's what his church was saying, and that's why he did that. But I want to share something with you. It's true that Scripture says the blood of Christ covers the deepest sin. The darkest sin. And it's not just mine, it's everybody's. So when we have a question about things like that, like His church did, if we ever do that, then we understand that we don't believe the grace of God is deep enough to redeem a person. And we've made it about ourselves and our own opinions about things rather than the grace of God being active among us. I don't know about you, but there was a time when a lot of people wouldn't want me in their churches. Most of you heard my story when I was homeless. But you know what? It was a United Methodist Church that took me in. Wasn't a Baptist wasn't a Catholic. They all said, good luck. I even told them my story. You know, I'm just a little bit down on my luck. I plan to be back you know, on my feet soon. And they're going, we've heard it before. That's what they said. You understand, we begin to become cold and callous to the needs of the people around us. And we begin to think one thing. They should know better or else we are better. And neither one is true. Some people don't know better. But let me share with you, the blood of Christ covers the deepest sin. I said that. The cross goes deeper than any sin of our own. But it also covers every sin and mistake of others too. It's not just for me, it's for everybody. It's not just for you, it's for me. It's for every person. The blood of Christ covers it. If it doesn't, the Gospel is a joke. It isn't just about me. It's about all. Nobody should be cast out from God's presence because of anything concerning who they are. Nobody. If they are, there's something wrong with their gospel message because it's perverted and based on a half-truth. Well, here's what that pastor said that day. His name was Tim. Good guy. He said, people who don't act or dress, or smell like I want them to, need to clean up before coming to my church. And this is my church. Don't know what they're doing here. I was here first. <laughs> and, and you know what he said? He said his children were three and four in preschool, and they said the exact same thing about their toys and where they were sitting. Uh-huh. I was here first. It's my seat. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... I really like what it says in Philippians 2, 3. And this is a verse that that can be unsettling. But it says, Let nothing be done through selfish, that means self-centered, ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let's esteem others better than ourselves. Others better than us. It doesn't mean they are better, 
But let us esteem them that way. To honor them that way. What would it be like if that day when he was sitting on the stoop of that church with that alcohol bottle next to him, someone came up to him and said, can I help you in and maybe help and we'll come to church and afterward I'll take you home, feed you and clean you and give you a place to stay. Would that have been bad? No. Nobody did it. On the stoop of a church. Can you believe that? I can believe it. I've seen it over and over again where churches don't welcome people. And it's a heartbreaking thing. But Jesus, as we said, is the divine and great physician and the sick need Him. A person laying out in despair doesn't need criticism. They need God. And who's going to show them God but... The church. So do they need to go to church? Or does the church, who you are, need to go to them? Doesn't the church mean you? Of course it does. They need God. The church is where they need to be and the church needs to be where they are. And I am the church. And you are the church. If you want to use preschool logic like I was here first, how about this? Here is the church. Here is the steeple. Open the doors and here's all the people. I am the church. You are the church. We are the people. Amen. That's from preschool, kindergarten, Bible school times. If you want to use the good stuff, use the good stuff. Not reasons to reject, but reasons to reach out. I know it's sometimes difficult to think that way, but I promise you, we can grow beyond preschool thinking to be adult, mature Christians. All of us can. And sometimes we need to be reminded of how we think. Only got three left, and these are the good ones. Yeah, I know. Here's the half truth I cannot save myself, I'm too bad. I'm hopeless. And when I feel bad about myself or I've done wrong, I need to ask Jesus to forgive me every time or I won't be forgiven. Here's the truth. I cannot save myself. I am too bad. I am hopeless. And Jesus changes it all. Sin is forgiven once and for all. All sin for all time is forgiven. It's not about sin. It's not about behavior. It's about living out a life of grace through the Gospel of Jesus Christ to make Him known and ourselves to decrease. Not what we want, what God wants. That's the Gospel. Here's another half-truth. My shame keeps me bound and broken. Amazing grace saved a wretch, but I'm a wretch and I don't need to be in church. I'm too wretchful. I'm a worm. There's something wrong with me. So God will not accept me and He does not want me. This is a half-truth. It sounds good. It feels good when you're depressed or broken or people are looking down upon you. But here's the truth. Romans 10.11 The Scripture says, whoever believes on Him, Jesus, will not be put to shame. You can let go of your shame. 
The truth is, God's grace does save a wretch like me. Mm-hmm. And like you. And yes, we are all wretches. Otherwise, we're still blind and don't see. You can't be seen if you don't recognize your blindness beforehand. We are all blind and have chosen other than God. Mm-hmm. We have all been lost and needed found. We are all the sheep that went astray. Sometimes we say, well, I've sinned so much, it's going to take a lot of grace. But the Bible says where grace will increase or my sin does, so maybe I should keep on sinning to get more grace. But Scripture says that sin doesn't have power. And to ask, actively seek sin is to ask for entanglement and bondage. And here's the last half truth. You've probably heard the truth of this one. But the half-truth, you've said, my sins are too great. Their sins are too great. Can't be a believer if they act that way. But, that's a half-truth. We're all broken. We all have places God needs to work on us. I need it. You need it. Whether you want to acknowledge that you need God to do a work in you or not, it's still the truth that you do. I'm not going to lie to you and tell you you're done. Uh, God hadn't stuck a fork in you, so you're not done yet. Okay? Devil might stick a pitchfork in there, but God hasn't, so you're not done yet. And He's not done molding and making you after Jesus Christ. My wife will tell you I don't walk on water. I'm assuming you all don't either. Uh, if you do, um, forgive me, but I don't think you do. The truth is this. The blood of Christ reaches the highest mountain and it flows to the lowest valley. The blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me, for you, will never lose its power. That's the truth. It's the blood of Jesus Christ shed on Calvary that sets us free. Nothing else can do it. It's not in our power. It's all about what God's done and continues to do to restore and redeem His creation to Himself. There's nothing creation can do to make it happen except to fall upon the arms and grace of Jesus Christ and say, Lord, save me, guide me, lead me, help me, and show me how to do the same for others in Your name. And I will be the church when You make me the church. Until then, I am living a half-truth. And the Gospel is not living within, but an idea. Hmm. Just one simple statement and if your gospel says the cross is an option, you don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. Die to self daily, says Jesus. Carry your cross. Follow me. This dying thing we are not so good at. We want others to change first. You know what's funny and ironic? 
I'm going to close with this thought for you. I've heard lots of couples arguing. And what they're saying is, when they argue, if they would just change, everything would be okay. If they would just see what they're doing, if they would just understand, then everything would be all right. <coughs> but the truth of the matter is, I need grace. And if there's a situation where things aren't well, I have a part. It can't be all one way. And so when God calls you into relationship, you say, well, I've already been saved. It's everybody else's problem now. If they just straighten their act, we'd have a good church. <laughs> or sometimes, sometimes we'll say it like this. I love Jesus. I just wish they would. Amen. And yet at the same time, we're saying, don't get too close. Don't get too close. And it's not safe. <laughs> For who? Our past is to go to the broken. If you <coughs> need. Uh-huh. And if you don't want to do it, it's a real good idea to say, God, break my heart because I haven't been all the way redeemed. I'm still just kind of creeping, peeking in the door. I have the cross here for you for two reasons. Number one, Palm Sunday. It's made out of palm leaf and fashion. I didn't make it, but whoever did it did a wonderful job. The second reason is a reminder of the choice that was made today. There are two choices you made. Christ chose you on Calvary that you might live. But the choice that's made today is to say, I enter into that choice and I accept His truth. He is the truth. And His Word is true for me. And let this be a constant reminder that you've chosen that. And if you haven't yet chosen that and haven't surrendered, mm-hmm. not committed, surrendered, then today is the day to do that. Amen. We're going to sing near the cross as our closing hymn. And when we do so, I invite you to come and pray or embrace the cross that I've given you and know that Jesus will bring you to glory because of it.